Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Rodcast. We're trying a slightly different setup today, tweaking some lighting things, seeing how much it improves if we listen to ourselves while we're talking. Um, and yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being willing to look at something different today. Hopefully, uh, by the time we're done tweaking, we'll have the most visually appealing setup to ever be created in a podcast. We'll see. For sure. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll get there. We'll see. Uh, this week, we are back on our Tableside Chats series, uh, and I am joined yet again by Mr. Seth Burkhart. Fantastic, fantastic Seth. I am, as usual, your host, Emily Beatty-McMullen, and we're continuing the Tableside Chats series with this week's conversation, extending what we talked about last week on challenge in music. Mm-hmm. So last week when we were talking about challenge in music, we kind of naturally went towards challenge and collaboration in music and the different ways that collaboration can look when you're doing music together. Big ensemble, small ensemble, different kinds of genres, situations. Um, definitely check it out if you missed that episode. So this week, I'm excited to hear your thoughts, Seth, as we dive into some other aspects of challenge in music. Yeah, so... I don't know. There's, there's, there's good challenges. There's bad challenges. Uh, kind of what we touched on last week and kind of continuing it, I think we could really discuss, you know, the aspects of what it takes to really get to the moment that is challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how, do you, how do you find, you know, means within the music industry to get that next step? Because a lot of times you can be, your own self can be a challenge. You know, you can get in your own way and you need to figure out how, how, do, I, how do I get past a problem I have? And I don't know. Do you have any ideas? Well, so you saying that actually brings to mind something, which is a question that I hear a lot as a piano instructor. Is it hard to play to learn to play the piano? And that's that seems like a really simple question. A lot of people ask that question. Is it hard to learn to play the piano? And the answer is, well, yeah, it's hard, but it's also not hard. Like it's both. There's there's always going to be difficulty when you're trying to get better at something. Absolutely. But I don't think that the physical mechanism of playing piano is that difficult, like compared to trying to make sound on like an oboe, for instance. All we have to do is just like push something with the finger. That's why music on piano can be so hard (laughs) because the actual mechanism of playing the piano is easy. So the things you can do are broader. So the expectation is higher, right? So it's, it's a complicated question. And then you have also the aspect of like, people always underestimate what they can accomplish with 15 minutes a day. Like people think like, oh, if I do 15 minutes a day on something, I wouldn't improve. That's not enough time to improve. But people overestimate the amount they can do with like one hour of practice. They think that in an hour you can get really good or like practicing one day a week, you can get really good. And if you, I mean, take it with like reading books. If you decide you're gonna read 30 pages of a book every day, then at the end of the year, you'll have read like you know, several thousand pages. If you decide that at the end of the year you want to try to read all several thousand pages at one time, you're going to get burnt out and stop. But if you develop the habit, then you look back over a long period of time and realize you improved a lot. So. Yeah, yeah, I would completely agree. It's mm-hmm. it, it's small steps over a given time because you know, kind of what we were talking about last time is that, you know, you can, you can burn out in a rehearsal when you're trying to practice something. And, you know, that can be very, that can be very frustrating when you're over rehearsing stuff. But when you're on your own, you really have to learn how to rehearse things, 
to your limit and then learn when to take a break and then when to come back to it. And everyone, I think, is slightly different in their how they organize their, you know, their rehearsal time, their practice time, and even like ensemble time. And there's different structures. For, like for me, I know going back to the first thing you said, mm -hmm. piano, I think the facility is extremely difficult. Oh, really? I've okay. always been frustrated with piano oh, okay. because I've had a difficult time just getting that, you know, getting that technique. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it came to playing a drum set, the coordination wasn't a problem yeah. as much. I was just kind of like, the coordination makes sense. Now let me see how much more I can challenge myself. But, you know, when it comes to improving yourself, they're always you always have to have in your mind that I'm going to achieve something new today or at least attempt yeah. to get something new out yeah. of what I'm practicing. Yeah, getting getting productivity out of every practice session, that's like I would I would honestly say that isn't something that I thought about until college, like with piano. Because it was just something that I just like, I thought if I just throw time at this and I just sit down and make myself do it, then I'll get good if I just do it long enough. And like, yeah, I didn't prove on piano until I was 18 or 19, but like I didn't start to really improve until I started actually thinking about like, okay, when I am done practicing today, I'm going to be better at X specific thing. And usually with a specific measurable goal, like I'm gonna get this tempo 10 beats per minute faster or even five beats per minute faster. I'm gonna be able, I'm gonna have better fluency on this specific section. I'm gonna get better at playing these parallel octaves in this specific mm -hmm. section. Like having those really specific goals, that wasn't a habit that I started until college. And I think it's no coincidence that my practice was so much more efficient. It has been that much more efficient since that time than it ever was before then. Yeah, and I think, you know, setting goals that you know you can attain, mm -hmm. and then also setting goals that might be difficult for you to attain, mm -hmm. and as long as you have that spectrum, you're gonna see, I think, the most successful range of improvement, and I think that's the case with everybody, mm -hmm. on any discipline to a certain extent, and especially when you have a teacher involved. When you have a teacher involved, you have almost like a counselor in what your limits are and like what your goals should be, and, and that's why it's really important to be taking lessons and having someone as a springboard. You know, that's yeah. that's a really important thing for me, and it always has been. Uh, and as you get older, you start to learn on your own how to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's, I feel like, you know, now that I've, I've been through school, I kind of know how to do that just naturally on my own. But when it comes to, you know, other, other you know, it's just beginning a, a skill set, you, you need almost like that instruction on, okay, here's where you might not want to pursue, or maybe here's how you're not practicing correctly, mm -hmm. because that's only going to lead you in the trouble or burnout potentially, which mm -hmm. is the worst. Yeah. So. Well, and I think I think that that mentoring skill that you it, successful teachers have, I think that focus on teaching students how to make their own goals and become self-sufficient with those goals, I think that has a lot to do with whether students keep playing the instrument when they're done with lessons. Because I hear so often, oh, you're a piano teacher? I played piano for years as a kid, sometimes 10, 15 years, people will say. And then they'll they'll say, oh, I stopped and now I can't play at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like 15 years of study, like even if you didn't improve that much, you would, you would still be like at least an intermediate pianist. Mm -hmm. But like my, my suspicion is that when that time was over and you stopped taking lessons, your teacher hadn't equipped you with that knowledge of how to make your own goals and how to do your own practice for your for your own enjoyment and for your own um, like progress because without having those goals 
you don't have anything to work towards. And when you're taking lessons, the, the, the pressure of like, oh, I have to go back in a week and if I haven't gotten any better, then I'm gonna feel embarrassed. That keeps you practicing for a while. But then when you're no longer taking lessons, you need something like of yourself and from yourself to keep doing it. And I think that's how people become really successful is by setting those goals and learning how to set goals like that. Mm -hmm. And you should always enjoy what you're <laughs> pursuing because you know, I always feel like if I'm nervous, for what I'm preparing for and I don't feel ready, mm -hmm. I you know, I automatically I'm like, well, I'm clearly not motivated enough. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a it's a self it's something you have to look at within yourself and say, okay, if I'm not motivated enough, what will get me to that point? Yeah. And with piano a lot of times, you know, the inspiration I've know is is to play whatever you hear on the radio or to play yeah. what you hear in a movies. A lot of students absolutely. and there's so much more substantial stuff out there that is just as influential and just as important. Mm -hmm but you won't be able to find that stuff necessarily on your own because it's not relevant. And so it takes a teacher even just to guide you yeah. towards things that you were unaware of yeah. and give you that creative expansion to understand what you need to be doing. Well, and that's been true in my experience with students that come to me that wanna play only classical music and they know they have, they've heard a lot of classical pieces that they wanna play and they bring me those. I'm, I'm always happy to expand their horizons with more classical music, but then also with like pop charts and maybe more musical repertoire or something that isn't quite so, you know, from the classical realm. And I love it when students end up liking that and I'm introducing them to repertoire they've never heard before. And then obviously it goes the other way too. You know, I have a lot of students that come to me and they want to play Elton John, they want to play Adele, Billy Joel, all these like really famous pianists. and. They're amazing for sure, but then I also love introducing them to like Keith Green repertoire and also like early 20th century piano music like Charles Ives and stuff like that where pushing them more into what they don't know and what they're uncomfortable with because so often there's been students where they have like this eureka moment of like, wow, I actually love this song. I love this repertoire and they never would have seen that or encountered that without me telling them about it. And you know that's what the years of experience are for. That's what that's part of what you are getting when you get lessons is not mm -hmm. only specific advice on how to play what you're doing right now, but also just general like helping bring you into the world of music in in general. Yeah, and I can speak for percussion too. I know a lot of people that started on drum set mm -hmm. and they've been playing drum set for years, and they're just kind of like, I always have to have someone I play with. I have to have something I play too. Mm -hmm. And then you show them something like marimba, and they're like, oh, I've never seen, you know, or maybe have never thought of even trying to play this because, you know, I was good at piano, but I'd never thought of this. And so you kind of opened up a whole tonal world that's within the same, you know, facility that you would see really in drum set too, just yeah. almost the same technique, just a little bit of variance. Yeah. And so you can really give a whole lot more opportunities, at least in the percussion world, just yeah. by showing there is more out there because the percussion world is so, so diverse. Huge. I think yeah. there's always an opportunity to find something you like in it, mm -hmm. or if it's even if it's electronic percussion, you know, yeah. you could still become a, the best of that, mm -hmm. you know. Well, and and percussion is probably the best example of like you learn you learn a skill set, and then there's so many instruments that you can transfer that skill set to. Obviously, it's totally different to play like a formal marimba piece than it is to play on you know, set as far as like, yeah. you know, your hand technique, but you're in the world of rhythm. You're in the world of like learning how to do that stuff. And you, if you get a percussion instructor, that's good. Like Seth, he's going to know how to do both those things and be able to teach you both those things. And like, 
percussion, that's probably like the best example of there being so many instruments you can choose from. But mm -hmm. like even with piano, like I had a teacher that introduced me to organ and kind of helped me get my feet wet a little bit with organ. Um, and I think organ is super fun. It's not the most practical thing to practice because I don't have one at my house. <laughs> um, but I would love to play more organ. You know, if you play clarinet, like oftentimes people find that an uh, intuitive transfer to saxophone or if you play one kind of saxophone tenor sax or alto sax and you can move to baritone saxophone or soprano saxophone even you know like having a teacher that is a trained professional they will have played all those things that you know and be d decently good at all of them you mm -hmm. know if you have a good teacher and having a teacher can help you think of those worlds and explore those worlds a little bit more um, and I, th I think that's a really valuable part of being a student of someone that is such an expert. Yeah, yeah. So. That's that's a great teacher will motivate you. Mm -hmm. A bad teacher will stress you out. <laughs> true, true. Well, this has become a PSA that you should take music lessons. And uh, yeah, we are um, just talking about how great it is to be a teacher and to have teachers. And you should, absolutely. But let's bring it sort of back to like challenge in music. Mm -hmm, yeah. So, you know, we could talk about the challenges of teaching but let's maybe let's let's kind of get out of the lesson world for a little bit with something we've talked about challenge and collaboration um let's talk about challenges in performance and kind of like mm. bringing it back to what you were saying i think more at the beginning you know challenges in establishing a career that kind of thing yeah it's because you know the the teacher part is really important having someone who is almost like your your promoter for your own personal identity which mm. is your product which is playing and having that having that responsibility is important but then there's other challenges too like how do I find a band how do I find a gig you know how do I get these places and the best way to do that is just sending emails contact people networking you're yeah. you're you're really kind of an entrepreneur especially once you're on you're in kind of the main music world and you don't you haven't like maybe won an orchestra job or you you aren't already like with something that's set up as an establishment that's getting you plugged in you'll have to promote yourself at some point yeah and even to get to those points you have to promote yourself because it's entirely based off of your own ingenuity and how you're putting out what you're playing yeah well and and like you're saying it's networking you know with with music a lot of times whether you get a gig is whether the person that's organizing the event thinks of you in the moment that they need to book somebody like weddings that kind of gig like I've played several wedding gigs where I'm just the person that they knew who they and they needed somebody for their wedding or their rehearsal dinner or something like that and that's why like saying the importance of getting your name out there is so important it's because you want to be in a position where when people think of oh I need to hire a band for X event or I need to get somebody to play at our open mic night or I need to get a band to play at this bar or something that you're the name that they think of um, and getting onto that list, like, you know, there are things you can do, like email people and that kind of thing. But also a lot of it is just generally being nice, generally being kind of social, trying to make a lot of friends that are musicians or that hire musicians a lot uh, and, and get into the world sort of that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being a great musician is being a great networker. That's mm -hmm. just, those it's go true. hand in hand. It's true. And, you know, another thing is, while that's kind of the context of how you're placing your talents, also, the content within that is extremely important yeah. because if you're not, if you only want to play like death metal, let's say, mm -hmm. and you want to play wedding gigs, you're you're probably never going to get a gig. Yeah. Maybe you'll yeah. get one gig. Yeah. You know, there might be someone who wants a death yeah. metal band. At there their might wedding. be a really cool couple <laughs> out there, <laughs> which would be pretty cool, <laughs> yeah. I have to say. But you know, 
you have to say, well, maybe I need to focus on Sinatra tunes. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to focus on really the, the standards of jazz or the standards of pop or, you know, maybe if they want Fleetwood Mac or something like that, you, you learn that rep mm -hmm. and you be ready to say, okay, this is what I'm gonna do because I know this will be more successful. Yeah. And so that kind of goes back to what we talked about yesterday is like disagreements, you have to agree as mm -hmm. a kind of a group because yeah. if you're disagreeing separately, you know, it'll be different. So. Yeah, well, and when you are playing with a band that you don't play with all the time, right? Like, cause, cause you can play with a band that you formed the band and you are a band and you play together all the time and you have a lot of, like you're trying to make it together as a band. Like that's kind of a commitment that should be generally accepted like before you get there. But sometimes you'll play with a band where it's like, we know we needed this person and then we needed this person and then we needed this person. And so you're coming together to play this one gig together. Maybe you'll play other gigs later, but you're not like a band, you're just the band for the gig. And in that case, like you definitely need to have that communication open because if you don't even know these people, like you don't know their strengths, you don't know what they've played in the past unless you ask them, you don't know what they think of as wedding music, you know, you've got to be really open about that. Um, yeah, and it can be really stressful too. Approaching yeah. a new setting like that, you're like, how much can I say, how little, you know, that's that becomes this whole like, I, should I interject here because mm -hmm. this is a new ensemble? When you when you do get those opportunities, it's, you know, it's usually best to remain calm mm -hmm. and, yeah. and collected and be as prepared as you can and then approach things as they happen. And that's like, you know, the best, the best way you could really approach a new setting without getting too stressed out because yeah. you can overthink things. But really the best way is just not, you just have to be really, ex you can't really expect or, you know, want anything and really whatever happens, you have to just be ready to adapt to it and really yeah. be in the moment when you're in these rehearsal settings yep. and audition settings too. Yep. Well, and that's why I think like, a lot of the success of a band in that situation where you don't know each other is experience, but not just experience playing the instrument, experience playing with other people because there's so much communication that happens when you're on a stage together. You're looking at each other, you're making eye contact. Maybe you're saying words, maybe you're using specific gestures, but a lot of it is just kind of like nodding the head and realizing like this is gonna be the entrance or we're gonna slow down here. And a lot of that sort of nonverbal communication you just have to kind of get into that world to learn it. And you have to have some experience to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, like knowing when a conductor gives you eye contact, you're like, okay, what does that I'm mean? I'm coming in now, you know, or it's I'm like, making is this, a is mistake. This, is this where I play a note or am I doing something wrong? Yes. You know, and, and thankfully yes. you have the music in front of you, but in the yeah. jazz setting, it's like, you can interpret that and you have to take the interpretation and then the other person has to accept that interpretation. So it's much more of a conversation. It's a, it's a two-way conversation versus kind of an orchestra where it really is a one-way conversation. Yes. And the third person would be like the music if mm -hmm. we're talking, yeah. you know, in that specific realm. Yeah. Well, and with like with orchestral music, you know, obviously when I've performed in an orchestral setting, it's been with a choir that's playing with an orchestra because I don't really play an orchestral instrument. I mean, there are piano things for orchestral instruments uh for there are piano parts for orchestral pieces mm -hmm. not every orchestral piece and uh they're only for like the one best pianist and i was never the one best pianist so i never had that gig but um even as a vocalist you know performing with a choir performing with a bigger orchestra ensemble um there's just there's so many things that can go wrong because you've got so many people. And that's a setting where I'm always so glad to have the music in front of me. <laughs> like exactly, yeah. performing a piece with a choir that's memorized. If you if you watch a choir perform a piece memorized, you should be impressed because it's hard. It's very difficult. Um, there's so much that goes into that rehearsal process. 
you know, with a choral, with choral music, with orchestral music as well. Um, it's the communication is so important, and it, it is a totally different feeling because you have their music all written out for you. Mm. When you're playing with a pop band, with a jazz band, where so much is left up to you to decide, you're you're communicating with each other in a totally different way. And I think that to me is like one of the most fascinating differences between performing in a more you know quote unquote classical setting versus like a pop or you know yeah all encompassing yeah. popular music setting yeah uh, yeah i mean orchestral is mainly my focus you mm -hmm. know when it comes to pop music i've never really been in the setting of how that rehearsal functions mm -hmm. like when yeah. it comes to like these these studio musicians and what they're doing it's mm -hmm. really it that is even more because you're going to probably get you know a track and you have to play that and there's mm -hmm. different ways that every artist will most likely approach that to a mm -hmm. certain extent there's not always a standard way to do that. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, you know, the aspect of orchestra where it's like if the librarian messes something up, yes. then your music's messed up. Yes. And that could be that could be frustrating. Or if there's a bad page turn and yeah. you just miss a note. That's I've seen that happen. That's happened to me before in mm -hmm. rehearsals and concerts because I failed to get it fixed in time. <laughs> and, and I learned my lesson the hard way. But yeah. I learned my lesson, you know, it's like edit your music if you have to, or talk to the librarian if they're helpful, mm -hmm. you know. And and that's that's where these other people who are facilitating the organization really come into play in these settings you know it can be frustrating when they're not good but if they're good you probably don't notice it it yeah. just works you yeah. know that's kind of nice like the sound guy yeah you know that yep. you only notice a sound guy when the sound is bad yeah <laughs> so or when something yeah. doesn't go like if you don't have a monitor mm -hmm. I, I've, oh, yeah. I played a musical once and I couldn't hear the singers the oh, whole time no. I was on drum set oh, no. and I was like can I please have a monitor for the musicians and they're like no there's gonna be feedback and I like kind of have inner monitors, and they couldn't do that. Oh so gosh. I played a whole gig once without without hearing the singers, and it was a it was a Broadway show. Yeah, so. that's like the time where you really want to be able to follow the singers and make sure you're doing it right. Oh my gosh, that's a nightmare. But but yeah, there's so many man. We can talk about so many like just bad gig experiences. It's it is crazy like. Whenever you play a gig with a venue or with a pe people that are just like not used to having musicians there, not used to having your instrument or that specific ensemble, like there's so many things we realize are so common knowledge in the music world, but not common knowledge to people that aren't musicians. Mm -hmm. And really good professionals will always compensate and maybe even understand these difficulties because if they've been doing it long enough, they're just used to dealing with new musicians in entirely new settings and they just know how to adapt instantly yep. and at least know what they can control and what they can't control. And once you kind of establish those those bounds of what you're doing within the gig setting, it'll be easier for you, mm -hmm. but it'll also be easier for everyone else because you're taking control of what you need to take control and then not stepping where you shouldn't step. Yeah. Well, and that's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons why having a sound check is so helpful and important because the sound check isn't just for the musicians to hear what they sound like. It's also for the venue to and the sound guy at the venue to get information from the musicians about how he wants to mic them, how he wants to make the room sound, that kind of thing. Like, it's I feel like it's a kind of a dead giveaway for an inexperienced sound technician when you go and you do the sound check and they're just asking like, oh, what else do you want to hear? And, and, like and the, the worst is when yeah. you, you, you're only using monitors and you have no clue what the mix sounds out there. Yes. And if the guy's not good and you listen to a recording later, you're like, 
we don't sound that bad. Yes. Like, what happened? Yeah. And you realize it's just because, you know, you you really need someone, even if you have a band and you have someone on your team, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe the roadie, tell them to go listen. Yeah. Because it, that's the advantage of a roadie, you know, is because you can, they like, can go can, and stand they out can go in the out house and, listen, and hear what the mix And they probably like. know your music really well. Yeah. They're probably, like, the number one fan, so they've mm-hmm. listened to all the albums. So they'll be able to tell you if, oh, it doesn't sound the same, you know, and you'll get really good feedback that way. Yep. Well, and, and to me, a good sound guy will be walking around the room the whole time during the sound check to listen to what the mix sounds like everywhere in the room here get close to the stage and hear if the monitors are pointing too far at the audience you know all these little tiny things and like yeah to me there's nothing more discouraging than going in to do a sound check they don't have some crucial piece of equipment that you need to hear or to be able to play and they just stand behind the board the whole time and never make enemies with the sound guy yeah. because <laughs> they will wreck your sound if, yes. if you don't if they don't like you that trust make me you sound <laughs> i well actually i well i'm gonna let you in on a trade secret guys okay listeners listen in i so I've been a church musician for many, many years. My undergraduate degree was in church music. I've done all, all, all kinds of styles, all s- different sizes of congregations, traditional, contemporary, you name it. And I have been the sound person at dif- de- many different congregations of varying size. And I will tell you that there's a lot of volunteer musicians who really want to be the lead singer of a church band. And I have you muted. I'm just telling you right now. There are people out there who really thought they were crushing it on backing vocals and you were muted the entire time you sang with that congregation <laughs> because you just weren't you weren't hacking it. And the sound guy is never gonna tell you that because they're nice. Yeah. And yeah. it's not their job to run your rehearsal. Yeah, they're like <laughs> the silent conductor that doesn't have to say anything. Yes. They can just do things yes. and it'll happen. And yep. you know, nowadays with with these digital soundboards, you know, you can now control your monitors and things like that and you really have a lot more control. And if some, if you're in some church settings, like mm-hmm. they might even let you see what the main mix is, and you can tell what people are doing. Yes. But uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting because you can just do anything that is with these new mixing boards. I I haven't really used them a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I've mostly been in kind of the old-fashioned analog crossover digital, yeah. and yeah. I I still like that personally. I think that has yeah. the best the best effect. Just mm-hmm. if you really want to get an authentic rock sound, where you know you're oh. pulling off things that are more 90s-esque, you know, mm-hmm. which I personally like a lot. I think that was the, the golden era of rock bands, but. Yeah, well, and I mean, yeah, there's there's so many different uh, styles of music that people do in churches. I think it's really cool, you know, it's fun. Yeah, and the styles in churches is changing too quite oh, yeah, a bit. For if sure. we're talking about kind of like CCM and how, you know, it's it's been the same thing for a long time. Yeah, so. but it's also changed a lot, like, yeah, well, and it depends on the church, too. Like, the church that I go to right now, they do a mix of, like, hymns with piano and organ. And then when we do, quote-unquote, CCM music, it's all from, like, 1970 to 2005. That's, like, the time range. Yeah. And we do it in a very, like, Peter, Paul, and Mary okay. style. It's, like, drum set, two guitars, a mandolin. Oh, no, yeah. Two acoustics, an electric hollow body, a mandolin a bass and then me on keys mm-hmm. and it's very like it there's like six that's, singers that's pretty cool it's that's fun. pretty cool yeah, yeah. Uh, you know there, there's that's the the best part about you know styles like that is that there's so much opportunity for new variations you know i really like folk mm-hmm. like i'm a really big fan of kind of folk with but there's really not a whole lot of drum in folk yeah. so in a way it's like i'm also not contributing that yeah. much but 
you know, even just like including something like, what if you brought a mallet cat mm -hmm. to a church setting and you started playing keys on a mallet cat? You just started playing chords. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know marimba, you could do this. And a mallet cat, if anyone doesn't know, is, a, is an electronic uh, marimba. Mm -hmm. There's there's different ones. Mallet cat's the main brand. It's still like the best one out there. And if you really want to get into like digital playing, but you're a marimba player, mm -hmm. you know, it's a great it's a great aspect in church settings. So yeah, yeah. and that's something that you don't see a whole lot. Yeah. Well, I you know, there's a reason that so many famous pop and rock artists, you'll hear like, oh, they started playing in church when they were a kid. And that's not because like all churches have just amazing music, but I think it's because since not all churches do have amazing music, even people that are really young have a super consistent opportunity to play in front of people. Because mm -hmm. if you're playing in a church, like you could play every week, multiple times, a lot of music and mm -hmm. that gives you so much experience with playing in front of people playing with other people playing you know maybe you are playing kind of mostly the same songs over and over maybe you're at a church where they add new stuff to the repertoire all the time and so you're learning new music really quickly too like as a as a church musician you get so much experience with performance and and you can get a lot of that experience before you even graduate from high school i sure did i got a lot of performance experience and ensemble experience before I graduated from high school just from church, so I. That's how I. That's how I started playing percussion. Was mm -hmm. I played in church? Mm -hmm. I started playing drums, and I actually found my first teacher through church. Yep. He was a drummer at my church, yep. and so I was able to establish, you know, the basics of what music is. And even before that, if you haven't even figured out what instrument you want to play, just sing. If you're singing in church, that is an exposure that even some kids in school won't get nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, if yeah. you're not in choir and you're in high school, you might not be doing anything singing wise mm -hmm. at all. Yep. And and you don't they don't really do that that much in grade school so church is really your best place to build musical skill sets mm -hmm. if you're not in a music school yep yeah it's 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 a pretty valuable experience um yeah I, it's it's always interesting to me to keep kind of a general eye on sort of the pulse of what ccm music is doing because to me it is fascinating that just the course that that music will take because it'll some specific sound or guitar effect or vocal style will just like gain popularity and then every ccm artist will use that exact formula for the next like two years and then Poor it'll change drums. again seriously well That's for a while there was like the u2 guitar like yeah, uh, it's really sustained. If you look at like old Hillsong, yes, and you look at kind of the yes. basics of it was based off of uh, based off of you too. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was yeah. it was truly you know this the same mindset, but we're gonna just change the lyrics. Uh, you know, that's yeah. it, it's a good starting point because that was the pop music, the trending music at the time, mm -hmm. and it was you know it wasn't offensive enough. Uh, and yeah. also, of course, I still like old hymns because I think they have the most complex you know nature to them, and mm -hmm. if you can really find how to make those relevant yeah because a lot of people don't know how to read music nowadays mm -hmm. and so you open a hymnal and you're kind of lost yeah like, i can read the just words read the lyrics yeah mm -hmm. and if you want to sing other parts it's difficult but you know you could still do that because a lot of people can still read music and it's still an important thing and just having that understanding to be able to read music you know for me i actually learned that by being in church you mm -hmm. know yeah i learned so. i learned how to sing harmony by ear at like age 13 by singing hymns out of the hymnal in church and like trying to sight read along with the alto line as we were singing and then eventually just sort of clicked and then i was able to do it without looking at the at the page 
And that's how my younger sister learned how to sing harmony. That's how my dad learned how to sing bass harmony. Like so, so many people I know. Mm-hmm. So, But another good way is just going to concerts, mm-hmm. going to yes. live venues, open mics. If you mm-hmm. really want to challenge yourself, there's a lot of, a lot of public venues that will allow you to just play, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. you know, maybe uh, I can think of many different places like BFWs, you know, mm-hmm. those kind of places. So. Yeah. Well, and it it depends the city you live in, you know, like a lot of cities have a lot of concerts that are going on all the time. There's music happening everywhere. But since there is so much music happening, it's also very competitive and you're not going to be able to have that opportunity unless you're like, you know, somebody that can get you in. But mm-hmm. then there's other places where there are a lot of open mics and you can totally go up and no one will care. Um depending on how friendly the city you live in is or just like the general vibe even if there's not an open mic going on if you just play the guitar and you sing like you can just go to a restaurant and ask like hey would would it be okay if i sit in this corner for a couple of hours and just sing and play and a lot of times they'll say yes like i brett and i my husband and i we were eating at a diner like a couple of weeks ago maybe a month ago and this dude just comes in he sits down like in a booth at the diner whips out an acoustic guitar and just plays and sings for like an hour i was like yeah good for that guy like yeah yeah Uh, you know and now that we're in the kind of the post-covid days Mm -hmm. it can be difficult to find venues because things have changed quite a bit yeah um you know and so there's there's a lot of different opportunities to play Mm -hmm. um but i think it's i think it's important just to reach out this goes back to networking find places where you can play find somewhere that someone that will let you just play at that venue Mm -hmm. because you know and a church is the easiest i always say church is the easiest because that's how i started out Mm -hmm. and it was just i just was like can i play and Mm -hmm. i I, they were like yeah sure we'd we'd love to have you play and you know Mm -hmm. some churches are very particular about who plays but Mm -hmm. so many churches have youth bands you know if there's a youth group they'll they'll let you play on that Mm -hmm. you know or maybe they have outreach things that you can play at or anything you know people love live music so it's hard to find places not to play you know yeah well and you know this is a point with churches but also with other places like even if you get a no the asking can still be really valuable because you're introducing yourself to someone and with churches like where we live in dallas there's churches everywhere there's a church on every corner there are churches right next door to each other and across the street from each other so even if the first one you ask you know maybe you don't go there and they say ah no we prefer to have people play that are really members of our congregation but they might know somebody down the street and say actually that church down there they need someone they've been trying to have their services without a guitarist and it's really not working go and introduce yourself to them they might know someone even if they don't know someone like you're at least putting your face in their mind so that they will remember you you know maybe you'll maybe you'll meet that person again later maybe you'll go back to that church later decide you really like it decide to become a member and then you do end up in the band and then like with the restaurant thing maybe you ask a restaurant or a venue like hey do you have an open mic night i would love to play i would love to sing and they say no we don't do that but we know this place does that so go there and ask them and then Mm. and then if you if you made a good impression and you or maybe you know that that person well you can say hey would you put in a good word for me there if you know this person and then maybe they'll give them a phone call and say hey i met this really nice girl met this really nice dude you know he's super young but i can tell he really wants to try hard uh you know give him a shot yeah people notice (laughs) effort yeah and that brings up another point kind of going back to the idea of playing what you want with con with the content of what you're playing like doing what you want versus someone else's because if you play at certain clubs or bars 
or church, you know, you have to play the style that they would like, you know. If you're playing acoustic guitar at, you know, let's say Potbellies, because mm -hmm. they used to have live music. I don't know if they still do that. Uh, in Chicago, they used to always do that, and they just have different guitarists. You, you could play pretty much everything as long as it's within the realm of the volume, the dynamics, and knowing knowing your limitations mm -hmm. when you approach these gigs and knowing what you can't do, mm -hmm. you know, is important because you will get to do what you want to do if you meet the right people, mm -hmm. but sometimes it takes you doing what you don't want to do, yeah. necessarily creative-wise, yeah. but skill set-wise, you're doing what you want to do, mm -hmm. and that'll get you into the right positions. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you don't need to view that as a limitation even. Like, say say you find a, find a, a gig playing at a certain restaurant, and they say, yeah, we'd love to have you but um, we don't really like to have electric guitar because it's a little too loud and people prefer kind of a more stripped down vibe here. So could you play acoustic and sing? And what you want to do is become the next Stevie Ray Vaughan and you want to be playing electric all the time and doing solos and shredding and all that kind of stuff. But maybe you do that gig and you get a lot better at acoustic and you find that you actually like it more. Like in that case, you still haven't lost. And even if you do that gig, you play acoustic more, you get a lot better at it, and you decide you don't like it as much as electric, that skill set is still gonna transfer over. Like, there's no way that playing your instrument more is gonna make you worse at it. Like, there's just no way. Even if, you know, you, you wanna be Elton John and you get a gig at a church playing, like, for the most traditional service, playing those hymns and getting good at that is not gonna make you worse at playing the genre you do wanna play. Mm -hmm. Like, no way. And even if it's not your skill set, like, just attempting mm -hmm. to master it. If you're, if you're just like, I can't play guitar because I can't play Christian worship music, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, that'd be frustrating, but, like, let's say you're really good at jazz guitar. It's like still practice what the positions you're in, mm -hmm. understand your limitations, but use that as a learning experience for other things too, because yeah. you will gain still information yeah. from those specific aspects. Like there's a band I really like called Coding, mm -hmm. and it's, they're not really well known, but you listen to their music nowadays, and you're like, oh wow, they influence so many bands, but no one really listened to them. And you listen to their live sets, people talked over their live sets mm -hmm. when they were playing, and they just weren't really popular, but they've gained influence. So even if you feel like you're not getting the traction, and you're you're confident in the style you're doing, and you're having success with your own abilities, and knowing that the the basics that make up music are there, which is why it's important to take lessons. Because mm -hmm. if you're taking lessons, you know you'll learn what the building blocks of music are. You, yeah. you'll, you'll reinforce those, and so you can say, "Hey, nobody likes what I'm doing, and I can't seem to be in the right settings, but I know what I'm doing is 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 very convincing mm -hmm. because I understand the means by which it is a mastering music itself." Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, learning learning more about anything musical can never make you a worse musician. Like, you know, if you want to be the most classically trained concert pianist who plays only solo works, playing with a band is not going to hinder you from doing that. Playing, you know, playing playing in a different style, you know, as long as you're not doing something that's physically unhealthy for your body, it's not going to make you worse at, you know, whatever it is you think your end goal is. Uh, and that end goal might change, you know, as we've said, like, you could end up changing your mind. You might get a great instructor that shows you some genre that you love and you didn't, you would never have heard of it. You know, they show you the most like hardcore death metal there is and you, that's never something you would have listened to, but you fall in love with it. And so, you know, you join a metal band and become the next Cannibal Corpse. Like yeah. you never know. It's important to always be researching new music yeah. and just knowing what's out there and finding ways to discover music because it's only getting more difficult nowadays mm -hmm. yeah. and more restrictive to only listen to certain types of music. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's dangerous because 
you know, it's it makes more money for the people that are doing well, yeah. but it also restricts creativity. Yeah. And so you really have to take an extra effort into finding these new ensembles. And sometimes that even requires you just to go to gigs mm -hmm. and listen to bands that aren't even recorded yet. Yeah. And you'll just get something out of that. Yep. And and really connecting with people, that's that's really the main thing. That's mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest difficulties that you have to get over is just being fearless to meet people. So Well and and speaking of discovering new music, like I read a paper when I was doing my research for my master's thesis, which was talking about um, what kind of music people like throughout the course of their life. And they had done an extensive project researching people's musical taste and how it changed over m multiple years. And they were looking at um, how people's musical taste changed or didn't change, um, especially when they were older, like 50 mm -hmm. to 70 years of age. And basically what the study found was that most people's taste in music is solidified before the age of 25. And that most people, when they get older, they listen to, the majority of the music they listen to is music they discovered before that age. And so I, I saw that study and I was like, man, that's depressing. Like that means, I mean, have I peaked, you know, like am I, am I gonna still like discover new things? Um, and, but then I, I kind of got over the like depressingness of it. And I was like, no, actually, like, even if that is most people, I can always make the choice to decide like, you know what, I'm gonna add a new genre. I'm gonna listen to something new. I'm gonna decide, I'm gonna make the decision to fall in love with something new. I'm gonna make the decision to fall in love with a new band, new genre, new style, new instrument, whatever it is. And I'm gonna commit to that because if I decide to do that and I'm that proactive mentally about it, then there's no way that I won't discover new music. There's no way that I won't find new things to enjoy, um, especially if you keep an open mind and you don't just keep going back to all the things that are old faithful. Um, and I, I think that like my mindset about that has been very much firmer of like, mm -hmm. yes, I'm going to find new things. I'm going to listen to new stuff. I'm going to get out there and, and get out of my comfort zone. And it's led me to like love a lot of things that I didn't like know about as a teenager. Um, and I'm super grateful for that. And I always encourage my students to do the same thing because I'm a better teacher to them because I do that, because I'm always looking for something new to show them, for me to play myself. Um, I think it's one of the most important things you can do as a musician. Yeah, like learning how to see the details of music will help you discover new styles. That, that's something for me is, is mm -hmm. when I'm like listening to new artists or maybe a style that I'm not really comfortable with, although I consider, I like all styles of music. There's really not a style that I listen to yeah. I don't like. And if I don't understand it, keep on listening to it until you try to figure out things yep. about it because yep. you'll you'll build your understanding of, okay, I, I just can't get into this style of music, mm -hmm. but at least I know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. If you can ask questions about the music you're listening to when you're frustrated that you yep. don't like it, you know, then maybe you'll discover something that you're like, okay, I got something out of this. Yes, because in every genre of music, there's something about it that's really challenging or really impressive or really thoughtful, or there's there's always some element like that to every genre of music. Otherwise people wouldn't enjoy it. And even if you don't find it aesthetically pleasing or it doesn't trigger that like love sort of feeling, if you learn about a, a style, if you learn about a genre, then you're never gonna be disappointed by that. You're, you're gonna, you can, you'll always come out of it thinking, 
it's not my jam, but I totally respect what they're doing. I respect the effort that's going into it. I respect the thoughtfulness behind it, the talent that's required, the skill that's required. And learning about those things, it's always going to make you appreciate music more, even if it doesn't become your like daily go-to genre. And the culture surrounding it, too. Mm, yeah. That's 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 where you can really find interest because you know a lot of times we're surrounded by our own cultures that we that we like and then our music will actually mold after the culture we're surrounded by but if we're just like well what is this other culture like let, let me understand it I, I'm, I'm curious about this what, what can i do to get better at you know understanding this it can be really beneficial yeah. you know well and going to gigs can be a great way to understand the culture that surrounds a specific genre of music like i know we've used metal a lot as an example um but, so I'll add another one to it. Metal, obviously, but also country music. If you don't, if you're not really into country music, you don't really get it, go to some country music concerts and just observe what people do there. Maybe meet some new people and ask them why they like country music so much. Um, listen, and especially classical, I have to yeah. say, because like, it's hard to understand classical unless you're at the concert. Yes, uh, that's and, absolutely and true. And taking the time to make sure you do the research and know that, yes, it might feel stressful to be at a classical concert. Mm -hmm. Some people feel that way even after they've left the classical it's like i was too stressful i just want to go somewhere i can relax well you can relax there actually it, it's a misnomer that you can't be relaxed at a classical concert yes you can't talk during the performance you know that's different but like if you go to a country music concert it's like you, you when you're listening to it live there's a different connection you'll have with the music than you'll ever get with even the best hi-fi or the best sound yeah. sounding system. If, if you're listening to it on vinyl, if it's even closer to the mixing board because it's like first press, you know, you're never gonna get that close to the music like you yeah. will when you're at a live concert. Even a cover band, I think, yeah. gets you closer to a certain style if it's if it's someone covering another band than mm -hmm. it would be from just the recordings. Yeah, and, and going to gigs is, it's just such a great way to understand why people like what they like. And uh, yeah, classical is such a good example because so many people say, ah, you know, classical music is not for me. You know, they didn't grow up listening to it, didn't study it, didn't don't listen to it for fun. Um, and a, a lot of, especially because it doesn't have, a lot of it doesn't have lyrics. And so if you're not used to listening to music without lyrics, then it can be really disorienting and it doesn't make sense. But if you go to the show, you listen to people introduce themselves, you listen to people introduce the music, you read the program notes and see what the composer, what they were doing in their life when they wrote the piece, what they intended it to mean. Just sitting there and letting the whole experience happen to you, you're going to learn so much about classical music from that. Even if you don't like it the first time, you'll still learn so much and you'll still think you'll still be so appreciative of the people that make that music. Mm -hmm. Also, ask friends what would be a good if you know yeah. if you have friends who like classical music, you should always ask them what's a good concert for me to go to because mm -hmm. you can pick certain classical concerts that can seem, at least from my perspective, can seem extremely boring, you know. Yeah. If you accidentally, if you want to be introduced to classical music, go to a Mahler concert. Yeah. You know, Gustav Mahler's music is so enthralling when you're yeah. there live. It's so, It feels like so emotional. It's it's amazing. If you go to an all Mozart concert, it still can be extremely, extremely immersive. If it's a great orchestra, mm -hmm. it's, it's some of the greatest music they'll listen to live if it's a really good orchestra. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what you're listening to, sometimes it's not the best starting point, yeah. you yeah. know. Uh, and, and the same thing I've always thought about, like recorded music as a promotional material for the live concerts. Mm. You know, I feel like the perspective I've always tried to have is that listening to the recording is me like replicating what I would experience if live. If you were hearing them play it for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, exactly what you're saying. 
for for every genre or every style that you want to like get into or try to learn about there's always going to be things that are more accessible than others uh you know and and maybe that means you start with something that isn't quite all the way there you know like you start if if you want to get in i'll go back to country music if you want to get into country music start with something that's very pop country and maybe maybe a band where the opener isn't even a country singer because that's going to kind of ease you into it and then before you know it, you're at like you know some very some honk local honky tonk with people whose accents are so thick you can't even understand them and you just love it because you've gotten you know you've eased yourself in uh shall we say and you absolutely can do you can do that with any genre and the, the like seth is saying the best way to do that is ask someone that likes it because they can guide you through they can they can show you uh and people always like to be asked about things they like people love to be asked for it you know tips on liking something that they like including famous musicians mm-hmm. if you ever get to meet musicians you know the best questions you ask them is pertaining to their fields like mm-hmm. you know like what are you like ask them what are your qualms with music you mm-hmm. know like what what has frustrated you and a lot of these musicians will say well, we play the same thing every day and we're tired of it mm-hmm. you know and that, that happens but like learning how to move beyond that mm-hmm. it, uh, you know you'll learn okay i gotta always keep my mind fresh if i'm going to become a performer that's like one aspect i could learn from that but yeah Yep. Yep. There's so many things to learn. There's so many things that are challenging about performance, bringing it back to the theme. Uh, and yeah, there's there's so many things that are challenging about performance. Um, working with other people, we talked last time about different aspects of collaboration that are hard. Um, today we focused a little bit more on kind of like your solo experience. And yeah, bringing it back to our, our big PSA at the beginning, like having an instructor. So many of these things about navigating the world of performance, learning about new music, just trying to get into gigs to play new music. So much of that stuff, if you're confused or lost or not sure what to do, if you talk to an instructor, you get a teacher, they will they can help you with all of that because odds are they have a lot more experience with it than you do. Um, and if you have a good music instructor, then they're gonna you know be someone like Seth, someone like me who really does a appreciate all kinds of music even if they don't listen to all of it super frequently um and they can help they can help you figure out what your next true love is when it comes to music um so don't wait (laughs) yeah sign up for lessons sign up for a lesson today yesterday (laughs) yeah um but yeah well yeah go to go to concerts even if you don't want to play an instrument go to concerts go to more live shows that's the takeaway from today is go to more live shows uh not all concerts are expensive um lots of concerts are expensive because they're really famous people but if you look around for shows near you um and you're willing to go see a band you don't know and you haven't heard of please do it go to a show go to a restaurant where someone's playing tip your bartender and have a great night because you'll I've never been to a concert that I left thinking like that was a bad experience. And that's where every famous musician starts. Mm-hmm. You'll you might run into the next famous musician by going to these local concerts, and mm-hmm. you might even discover a new genre that's cutting edge that mm-hmm. hasn't even been listed on Apple Music or something like yeah. that as a genre. You won't even know about it yet. Mm-hmm. And so that's the best way is just find this being a part of the community and figuring out how to find those mm-hmm. places. You know, yeah. there's, it's there's plenty of places to find new music. Yeah, you heard it here, folks. Go to concerts, find new things, take lessons, keep an open mind, and we'll see y'all next time. Yeah, see ya. Bye.